I, I don't know about you, but I, I just, there's some, uh, just the past few days, even the past few weeks, I just have felt like God's going to do something amazing during this series. Uh, in fact, um, I want you to poke the person next to you <clears throat> and say, listen, I, this series is for me. No, not me, not, not you. Don't say you, me. Like, make it personal. This series is for me. And you can sit on it if you want. That's cool. I'm glad you're there. Just don't interrupt me. Because this series is for me. Just go ahead and tell them that. This is, this is, this is something that God's going to do in my life. This is a series for me, for my needs. And now, that doesn't mean that God can't bless you. That's great. Just shh, don't interrupt me. I want to hear God's voice. I want to uh, put up a, uh, a text. Uh, and it says, uh, this is, a, a, most of you know that I'm, I'm, I'm really into leadership. And uh, I'll never forget, oh, I'd say some 20 years ago, I went to a John Maxwell leadership seminar. And I heard him say these words. And it just changed everything in my life. I mean, these words just really meant something to me. This series is for me. I mean, you can sit in on it. But this is for me. And this is what John Maxwell said, just very simple words. He said, everything, everything, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything. And at first when I read that, I thought, well, or I heard that, I thought, well, that's, that's kind of okay, and that's nice. It's a nice way of saying things, you know. It's a good quote, but it wasn't as until I, I began to, to be more and more involved with leadership that I began to realize how true this is. There are so many times when something will happen and I'll meet somebody and, and something falls apart and I'll be like, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership. I think you can look around you today in this world, in the things that are happening in this world, all over the world, and you can say to yourself, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership. Isn't that true? There are so many things right now that could be so much better But everything rises and falls on leadership. We're going to be studying about a great leader in the Bible. His name was David. Now, before David, though, there were the judges. Let me give you a little background because the, the story of the judges, if you've never read that, usually we get to judges and it starts getting so dark that we just want to skim through Judges because, you know, it starts off okay with Gideon and all that. That's nice, okay. But then it gets darker and darker and darker, and we're wondering what is up with this? Why did God include this in there? There's some pretty violent things that are happening, some, some very terrible, dark things that are happening in the book of Judges. Some of you guys are going, i got to go home and read the book of Judges. I didn't know that, but I just, don't, don't, don't read it because of this. I just want to tell you something. It, it's, it's really bad. The days were really, really dark. God was trying so hard to work through the prophets and to work through the judges. 
But the people were hard-headed. I mean, I'm always amazed how God just is so patient and so long-suffering with us, isn't he? I know he is for me. This sermon is for me. Uh, you could sit in on it, but I'm telling you right now, I'm amazed how patient God is with me. Is he with you? So there is this uh, text in Judges, and it's repeated several times. It's as if the author of the book of Judges wanted us to know why it was so bad. It was so bad because everything rises and falls on what? On leadership. And so he keeps repeating this. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Some versions say everyone did as they pleased. In those days, there was no king. There were no leaders. Is that true? See, I would like to suggest to you that there was a king. But he was an unnoticed king. This was a time where God was king. This was a time where God was saying, look, I, I am going to guide you. I am going to be your king. But Israel had forgotten their king. And it's, it was as if they had no leadership. And everything rises and falls on leadership. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, at some point... Samuel gets older. And listen to what it says. It says, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. But they were not like their father. Samuel was a good man. The sons were not. For they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, almost as if Israel had enough, I'm, I'm done with this, finally all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. I got to tell you right now, if Len comes to me and says, I think it's time that we talk about something, Sergio, would you come and meet with all the elders of Israel? <laughs> Would you come and meet with all the leaders of this church? I would start thinking, okay, something's not right. Something's wrong, right? And this is what it says. Look, they told them, you are now old. <laughs> now, if Len says that to me, that's not a good thing. If he said to me, look, you're getting too old, so you've been here now 15 years, you know, 20 years, and, you know, you're too old. Imagine being, said, being told that, you're too old. That's terrible. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. 
there is something extremely dangerous in wanting to be like everybody else. Can I tell you that? This was a time that there were no kings except for God in Israel. And the people of Israel had just had enough. The elders had had enough with all of the people of Israel just going, doing whatever they wanted, whatever they pleased. There was no sense of law. There was no boundaries. There was none of that. And so they're like, okay, now we need a king just like every. We want to be like the other nations where there is a king that is visible. We don't, want to, we don't want an invisible king. We want a king that is visible. Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted a king that was visible? Because you know truly, let me just say this to you right now. Your pastor is not me. Your pastor is God. I am just here as the visible person. But God is God. He is your king. He is your pastor. He is the one that's leading you. Hopefully, I'm allowing him to lead you through me. Does that make sense? But I hope we never get to the point where we do what we do because we want to be like everybody else. We do what we do because it is the right thing to do. There is nothing wrong with saying, wow, that's really good. There's nothing, we, we, sometimes we're too proud to copy. We're not copying people. If the Holy Spirit is working with somebody, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, let's, let's do what they're doing. We're not doing it right. They're doing it right. There's nothing wrong with that. But we should never do what we do just to be like everybody else. We should do what we do because we believe God is leading us in that way. Does that make sense? So this was the time that there were no kings. Samuel's getting old. And so they ask, could you please give us a king? So Samuel goes and talks to God. And God says something really interesting here. And I hope you hear it. Because Samuel is just like anybody else. There's a part of him that's feeling dejected. It's like, what, what was wrong with me? I mean, I was God's, I was your spokesperson. I was your, your, the, the person you spoke through. Like, is it me that they don't like me? You know, they, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever tried to witness to somebody and they just kind of walk away and you're like, what did I do wrong? Did I say something the wrong way? Did I do? And you think it's you. But listen to what God says because I want you to hear it for yourself because I've had to hear this for myself so many times. Again, this series is for me. You're sitting in on it. That's okay. But just know what God says here. It says, and the Lord told them, listen to all that the people are saying to you, Samuel. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected who? Me as their king. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They rejected me. They don't want to replace you. They want to replace me. And then God says to Samuel, now go ahead and do that. And when you do, let them know what's going to happen once there is a king over them. Make sure that they are warned. It's almost as if God was like waiting to be able to say one day, I told you so. 
So the Bible tells us, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is not a series on Saul or Samuel. This is a series on David. But the Bible tells us that there was a man that was tall and handsome. He was higher, uh, taller than everybody else, and uh, he was a little shy and quite humble at first. He's actually hiding when uh, Samuel goes to find them. And there's uh, some interesting aspects of that story that's really kind of really neat there. But he becomes king. Samuel goes ahead and uh, anoints this guy named Saul as king. And Saul is doing good at first. Again, he's humble. He's trying to figure it all out. He doesn't want to, he's not pretentious in any way. But the more leadership he tastes... And the more he begins to play with this concept of leadership, he does what a lot of newbies do when they become leaders at first. And that is, he begins to get arrogant. And he begins to do things his way. And he, he realizes, he recognizes, hey, wait a minute, now hold on. They haven't rejected Samuel, they rejected God, and so i got to make sure that it's something better than God. I'm going to do it my way. And he's constantly doing things. And he's always one step behind Saul. He's never doing what God has asked him to do, and he's constantly making mistakes. And because of Saul and because of what's going on, Israel is really getting out of hand. The Philistines, oh yeah, you remember them? They have now taken over the land, and the Israelites have been trying to get un away from under the Philistines' hand, but they can't. Why? Because everything, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so here you have the Philistines, and they've got things happening. And no matter how hard Saul tries, then there's the Amalekites. And then there's, I mean, no matter what happens, Saul is just doesn't know what to do because he's really not a leader. He's just tall and handsome. So God finally has enough. Before the elders finally had had enough, now God finally has an, is enough. And this is what it says. Uh, here's the, the, the part, the, the hinge moment. It says, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I keep blowing it. I keep making mistakes. You're right. I should have done this. I have blown it. I have sinned against the word of the Lord and your words. Because I was afraid, listen carefully, I was afraid of the people and listened to them. I should have been listening to you. I should have been listening to God. But I listened to them instead because that's what newbie leaders do. They never do what's right because it is right. They do what they think the people want. But the, what the people want isn't always the best thing. Isn't that true? How are we doing that here? Are you following what I'm saying here? This is important to set this up so we understand what's happening with David. How David gets put in here. Now I beg you, he says, forgive my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you.
For you have turned away from the word of the Lord, and the Lord has turned away from you being king over Israel. Do not miss this. The Lord has turned away from you being king over Israel. You understand what it's not saying? This is really important because a lot of us misunderstand this. There are times that we as leaders make big mistakes. And there are times, and I've, I've experienced this with folks, where we have had to say, you know what? You just can't be a leader anymore. But God still loves you. And God still wants to impart his saving grace upon you. But you just can't be a leader anymore. You just can't be the king anymore. Maybe one day, sometime in the future, if you allow God to do stuff in you, things will change. But right now, you cannot be a leader anymore. But just because you cannot be a leader anymore doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. But here's what happens often. That person is so proud. That person is so arrogant. That person is so broken that they do not allow God's wonderful grace to heal them and change them. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. And as you read on, and I do hope that you read First and Second Samuel, that you read Kings, that you read some of these stories in the, in the Bible because, uh, as we go through this, because you're going to find something about this whole story that's really interesting, and that is this. You're going to really understand what it means when I say to you, when John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. You're going to see things from King David that you never thought you would see. In fact, there's going to be times when you're going to be like, I disagree with King David on this. And it could be a leadership decision. Now, there's many things that you can disagree with King David on. We'll get into those too. But there are some things that you're going to feel like, I disagree with King David on this in his leadership decision. He should have taken action. He should have done that. But he doesn't because he the Bible tells us, as a heart after God's own heart. So, Saul is turned away. Meanwhile, back on the plains, there's a young man. His name is David. And David is shepherding his father's flock. We find out later that while he is doing that, this is no easy task. He talks about wrestling a lion and wrestling a bear. I don't know what a bear was doing in Israel, but anyway, he's wrestling a lion, he's wrestling a bear, and he's, and, and there's like, he's constantly having to deal with these enemies who are trying to steal the sheep and he's protecting the sheep. He doesn't know that all of that protection, all of that stuff is doing something. It's preparing him for something. He doesn't know yet. So he's there. He's doing what he's got to do. Now here's the thing. Have you ever thought that what you did in the past was meaningless to you today? That you wasted that time? But can I tell you something? Here's what I believe. There is nothing that you do that God does not use for his glory. I got to tell you, for many, many years, uh, as you know, some of you know, not all of you know, but I was a drummer in a rock band. That's what I did. And when I accepted Jesus Christ, there was a whole lifestyle with that. I put that away, and I didn't play drums for a long, long time. 
But I began to, to, to get involved with the church and, and to speak at the church. And, and as I got to do that, I had people come to me and they go, doesn't it bother you that you wasted all those years learning how to play this instrument that you don't play anymore? Of course, I didn't know that this day would come. But I got to tell you something. Suppose this day never came. Can I tell you something? I didn't know this until my wife Nancy told me this. She said to me, Sergio, you do know that you preach like a drummer. What does that mean? And she says, well, there are times you know when to get loud and you know when to play soft. You know when to play fast and you know when to play slow. You know when to uh, make a crescendo and when to keep it down, when to roll and when not to roll. You know this, just the way, that, the way you preach, you preach like, a, like you're playing the drums. I never knew that. And it's true. So God was using everything that I had learned from playing the drums to help me become a better communicator. Isn't that awesome? I mean, can I get an amen on that one? I mean, that's huge right there, right? I mean, and the reason why I'm telling you this is because there is nothing that you have gone through, nothing at all. Some of you have gone through a tremendous amount of pain. Some of you have gone through a tremendous amount of brokenness. None of that is wasted. So that's preparing you, or it has prepared you, to do amazing things for God's glory. You're going to be able to be compassionate in a way that nobody else can be compassionate. I spent seven years, seven years working with Down syndrome kids, special ed kids. The best preparation that I have ever had as a pastor. Can I tell you that? I'll let you kind of play with that a little bit. No, but it made me more patient. It made me more compassionate. It made me to understand made me realize how many mistakes I did then that I wasn't going to do again. And those years out in the field as a shepherd were formative years for David. Now, while he's out there, he's writing psalms. As we heard in the video today, psalms, right? He's writing these songs. They're, they're recorded in the Bible. Over half of the psalms are David's. And one of the psalms that he writes has these words in it. And it's really important that we, that we look at these words. It's, it says this. I don't even know where I am here. I didn't even go ahead, did I? I've just been doing it on mine. Okay, here we go. It says this, listen to these words. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You, God, know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth all the stages of my life were spread out before you the days of my life all prepared before i'd even lived a day one day 
In other words, what David is saying is, you knew, you had me in your mind. We've talked about this just a few weeks ago. You had me in your mind. You dreamed about who I was before I was even created. You sculpted me, he says. I mean, think about those words. Do you believe that God, the greatest artist in the world, has sculpted you? Some of you may remember some years ago I told this little historical fact. 20 years before Michelangelo was born, 20 years before Michelangelo was born, 20 years, the church had this big block of marble, and they didn't know what to do with it, and they commissioned an artist 20 years before Michelangelo was even born. They commissioned an artist to do something with it. And the artist looked at that piece of marble and, they, and he said, there's just nothing I can do with this. It's shaped really weird and it's just, it's not, I think it's going to, I think you're wasting your time. The year that Michelangelo was born, the church still had this piece of marble. And so they commissioned another artist and said, hey, can you do something with this piece of marble? And that artist looked at that marble and he said, you know, this is old. And this is getting like kind of, it's flaky, and, and if, if I start chipping away at this, it's going to fall. I'm really afraid, and to be honest with you, the shape is really crazy. I don't, this is not a good piece of marble. Later, when finally Michelangelo comes onto the scene, the church is about ready to throw away this piece of marble. And they go to Michelangelo and say, look, we're about ready to get rid of this. Is there anything you could do with this? And Michelangelo says, well, let me see what I can do. And he begins to chip away and work at it. And out of that piece of marble, he makes this amazing statue that we, it's still today is, is in Italy. And it's called the Davide or the David. See, some of you are sitting here and you may be thinking that there is nothing that anybody could do with you. Some of you may be sitting here and you may be thinking that, that you are worthless, that, 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 that you, there's nothing that you can really contribute because, because somebody has looked at you and said, nah, nah, it's not going to happen. Nah, there's nothing. To, but can I tell you something? In the hands of the master artist, you can do anything. The greatest, greatest sculptor in the world has got you. And, and, and if you think about that story, Think about it in the light of what happened to David. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm amazed how masterfully deceptive and effective are Satan's suggestions towards us. I have talked to people and I've heard them say, you know, I've heard people tell me you'll never amount to anything. People have said, my dad has said to me, you're stupid. Or my teacher said, you're, you're worthless. You have nothing to offer. Or my church has said, you're the wrong gender. Or the wrong age. How are we doing? You're the wrong color. And so I, I, I must be a failure. 
And we believe this. I'm amazed that we believe this. I've heard young people come to me and say, you know, I, I tried to do this, but I was told that I can't do it. It's impossible. It's ridiculous. It's too radical. And maybe I shouldn't do anything. And so guess what? They don't do anything for a long, 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 long time. Because all along they've been said, no, no, no. You're just a dreamer. You're not good enough. Just go ahead and daydream. Don't worry about actually doing something. With those. But I think, you know what, what I believe? I believe God is looking for daydreamers. I believe God is looking for young people, regardless of their gender, regardless of what's going on. I believe God is looking for older people. I believe God doesn't care how old you are. You could be an Abraham. You could be a David. You could be a, a, a Josiah. God, that God doesn't, age doesn't matter. You could be an Esther. You could be a Ruth. You could be a Rahab. Gender doesn't matter to God. All that matters to God is that you have a heart after God's own heart. Are you following what I'm saying here? There's, I'm telling you right now, there are people in this room right now that need to hear this. And I know you are tired of sitting in the pews. I know you are tired of being told that, that you can't do it, but you can do it. Beethoven, have you ever heard of him? He was told that he handled the violin awkwardly and preferred playing his own composition instead of improving his technique. His teachers called him hopeless as a composer. Beethoven. The parents of the famous opera singer, sorry, Italian, Enrico Caruso, wanted him to be an engineer, Len. You could have been a great singer, Len. Let me just tell you that right now. And those of you, the many of you who are engineers in here. <laughs> His teacher said he had no voice at all and could not sing, but Enrico Caruso went on to make an amazing career as an opera singer. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for the lack of ideas that he had. Walt Disney also went bankrupt bankrupt several times before he built Disneyland. Thomas Edison, his teachers said that he was too stupid to learn anything. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein, you've heard of him? He did not speak until he was four years old. I've had parents come to me and like really worried about that. I'm like, don't worry. Is he four yet? No, okay, you're fine. In fact, I would wait till he's four, because you might have another Albert Einstein there. And he didn't read until he was seven. He didn't read until he was seven. His teacher described him as mentally slow, unsociable, and adrift forever in his foolish dreams. He was expelled and refuted, refused admittance to Zurich's Polytechnic School. I bet you they're regretting that moment, aren't they? See, when Satan catalogs your failures, you say, you know what? That is so true and much more. But I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. It may be true that from the world's perspective, I am a nobody and I'm worthless. But in God's eyes, I matter to him. Every person matters to God. Everybody is important. And God can use all of us. And that's what David's story is all about. He knew you before, before you were even created. And he knew this. Now, catch this. Don't miss this. He knew 
that David was going to be king before David knew he was going to be king. I want you to just digest that for a second. He knows what you're going to do and the contributions you're going to make before you are even going to make them. So start acting like you're going to make them. Just say, okay, God, I'm waiting. What's it going to be? So, God tells them to go ahead and anoint somebody else. And so the story goes that, that Samuel goes to Bethlehem. It's a small little place. And he's, he's got to kind of figure out who's going to be king. And he's there, and it says that when he arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, well, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Right? This has got to be him. Because why? Because Eliab is like, he's like the, the epitome of handsome. And again, what is, what, is, what is Samuel doing? He's doing the same thing Israel did, right? I mean, here's Samuel going to this obscure, obscure village. Dad is so proud. Oh, one of my sons? Sure. Let me introduce you to my eldest, Eliab. First of all, give him a different name. That's what I'm going to say right now. This is my own thing. Eliab. He introduces him. And, 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 and he's, Jesse's always known that Eliab was, going to, was, was, was ready for great destiny. He pulls up in his nice beamer, comes out, and he's all excited. Right? He's, he's got a nice watch on. He's got a suit on. He says, here I am, Samuel. Go ahead. And Samuel's going, awesome. In fact, Eliab means in Hebrew, he the man. But God says, he not the man. <laughs> so Samuel is there and he's going, he not the man. Right? And the Bible says, listen to this, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance, or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Do you get that? Don't judge by the appearance. God knows the heart. You may look in the mirror and go, there's nothing that can God do for it with me. Don't believe that. Don't you believe it. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Doesn't matter how short you are, how fat you are, again, what gender you are, what age you are, if your heart is for God, God's going to use you in amazing ways. So they all go one at a time, and then then there's this great question that is asked. It says, Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel. Seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And then it says, uh, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. He's thinking he's at the wrong house. How is this possible? So he asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? I mean, is this like, is it me, or is this like the weirdest question you've ever, uh, I mean, really? 
Like, how do you ask a father? Have you ever tried to put something together and it's like something is missing? And like you forget, like, wait a minute, what's... And you're like, these are all the parts? Like, there's a part missing here. Oh, you mean this screw? I didn't realize this was important. What? You know what I'm talking about? He's asking, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Oh, let me think about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's almost as if he's saying, no, God is not wrong. You're doing something wrong. And I don't know what it is, but I got to tell you right now, these are not the right ones. So that it says, yes, I have another son. He's out in the field. He's just a shepherd, though. I mean, you know, he's kind of, he comes in, he's all, he drives in, and he's a little geo, <laughs> you know. Gets out of the car, he's all muddy and I've been tending sheep. He smells like a sheep herder. I mean, let's be honest, right? And Samuel's like, really? And it says, oh, I keep doing that. Sorry, I'll get used to this. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. Now, this is going to be important in the next couple of sermons, all right? But keep this in mind. He anointed him where? In the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David had no idea that God had done this. Now catch this, all right? Don't forget this. Now, Samuel just anointed David as king, right? Isn't that true? But is he king yet? No. In fact, he has to wait years before that anointing gets realized. Some of you guys need to get some patience. God has already anointed you. The Spirit is already working powerfully through you. But you want to get to this level before it's time. I want to tell you right now, be patient with the Lord. Because the Lord knows His timing is absolutely perfect. Do you believe that? His timing is like the appointed path of the stars and the starry skies of the universe. God's purposes know no haste and no delay. Do you believe that? I do. So... The next part is kind of interesting to me. We're almost done. How many of you remember Sesame Street? This is, some of you guys are like the Sesame Street era age people, right? Remember this one thing? They did one thing. The, one of these things is not like the other. Remember that? One of these things is not like the other. This is my favorite part of the, of, of the sermon today. I, got, I, got love, I love this. One of these things is not like the other. I got to tell you right now, if my friends from high school would see me now, they would not believe it. One of these things is not like the other. Right, let, let, let me give you an example. Here's one. Uh, Here's a guy by the name of John Denny. He's a long snapper for the Miami Dolphins. Guess what? He plays the violin. 
I understand he plays it delightfully. Check this one out. Justin Tucker, kicker for the Baltimore Ravens. He's an opera singer. I know, right? What is up with that? One of these things is not like the other. This is one of my favorite ones. Conor McGregor, UFC lightweight champion. He is an origami expert. He loves to play with origami. One of these things is not like the other. And then this one here. Arnold Schwarzenegger, bodybuilder, actor. He's a ballet dancer. Are you kidding me? One of these things is not like the other. Now here's the part that I love the best. And this all will fit in right now, I promise you. And it goes like this. One of the servants said to Saul, that at this point, you know, as the Holy Spirit is going upon David, Saul is becoming angrier and angrier. He doesn't know why. He realizes that the kingdom is being taken away from him, and he is becoming depressed, and he's becoming discouraged. He gets, he gets these fits of rage, and nobody can calm him down. And so they, they decide, we've got to find some kind of Prozac for this guy. And the only Prozac there is music. Now catch this, because one of these things... Is not like the other. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented, what? Harp player. I, I mean, is it me? Or is this, is this weird to you? This is, this is David the warrior. This is David who kills bears and lions. This is David who's going to knock down a big old giant. But he plays the harp. This David. What is up with that? Some of you guys have some hidden talents. And you're afraid to let us know about them. Because you're afraid it's going to make you look weird. Let me tell you right now, there's nothing weird. In fact, knock the person next to them and say, you know, you're weird, but God loves you. Go ahead. Say, say that to them. You're weird, but God loves you, man. In fact, God loves you because you are weird. All right? Spouses are really having fun with this one, I can tell. And that's nice. He's a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war. One of these things is not like the other. And has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David the shepherd. And whenever the, the tormented spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and then Saul would feel better. And the tormenting spirit would go away. Now catch this. We're going to finish with this. Listen to me. David on that hill, tending sheep, times when it was not intense because somebody was attacking, times when it was boring, he picked up this thing called a harp, and he began to play. And he got good at it. And you may think that that is a waste of time, but i got to tell you something. God knew that one day he was going to be king, and he needed to get into the court. And how does he get into the court? He gets into the court because he's a musician. He gets into the court because he's doing something that is so totally different than the warrior king concept that most of Israelites knew. Please listen to what I'm saying. If there's anything you can take away from this sermon, there's everything about you is designed by God. Use it for his glory. Use it, just say, God, please reveal it to me. Don't hide any of your other's gifts. David was a remarkable man. 
We are all, let's be honest, we are all walking contradictions, aren't we? There's so many things about us. There's things about us that we, if, if people found out about, we would, be really, they would, we would be upset. We don't want people to know. But what I love about God is that he loves everything about me, even the things that I don't love about me. He's okay with it. He's going to let me, he's going to keep changing me and working with me. In fact, there are things that I thought that I didn't like about me that were bad, and I found out that that's not true. God not only was okay with it, he wanted me to develop being a drummer. But for the longest time, I thought that was a bad thing. And I, st I stopped playing the drums, but I kept playing the table and the lap and the steering wheel, and only to find out that rhythm was just who I was. David. A remarkable man, extraordinary capacity on multiple fronts. As we heard, a musician so skilled that he was the Prozac for King Saul. A formidable warrior that was able to kill a giant when he was not even old enough to shave. He was a fierce competitor. He was a poet. You read the Psalms, they're just so beautiful, expressing the longing of the human heart. He was a statesman and a king. And Israel achieved the highest economic well-being and political stability under his reign. This was a true Renaissance man. And all the time, he didn't know that God was working with him. Don't underestimate what God wants to do through you. Don't underestimate what God wants to do through you.